No better place to be. Where else in the country could you possibly have had somebody get up and remind you that God uses knuckleheads? <laughs> really appreciate that, Dave, especially, especially since if I was going to give a title to today's sermon, which I haven't done, I don't think I could come up with a better one. God uses knuckleheads. God is amazing, isn't he? Uh, Dave had no idea what I was going to speak about today. God is amazing. I'd like to start us out with a question. And that question is simply this. Do you really, really believe that God can use you? Do you really believe that? It's easy to, to know that God wants to use us. The Bible says that in many different places. Places such as Ephesians 2 verse 10 where it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Time after time we are reminded in Scripture that God has a plan for us. God has a purpose for your life. So that's, that part's easy. But do we really believe that God can do that with you? And you and you. People often struggle with believing that God can really use them. And exactly how is that supposed to work? How can you make that work? Well, of course, the short answer to can God use you is simply yes. Of course he can. He's not going to have a plan, a purpose, and tell you that he wants to if he can't do it. And I don't mean that God can use you after you have gone to seminary or Bible college for three or four years, after you've attended some number of seminars, retreats, or conferences, or listened to Pastor Tim preach for two or three years, or after you've read some big, thick theology book, and this one's actually kind of thin for a theology book, God can use you regardless. And maybe, depending on what God wants to use you for, maybe reading a theology book is part of the plan. But before you read that book, God can use you. While you're reading it, God can still use you. Even after you read it, God can use you. And after you're done reading it, you might be more confused than you were before you read it. That's okay. God can still use you. All of these things are helpful tools. But none of them, none of them are required for God to use you. Let's take a look at 12 men that God wanted to use. Twelve men that God wanted to use. We're going to be looking in Numbers chapter 13 in the Old Testament. Uh, what has happened prior to this passage, let me fill you in. Moses has led God's people out of slavery, out of Egypt. They have crossed the wilderness and they are preparing to enter into the promised land to possess the land. And as they prepare to enter the promised land, twelve men are selected one from each tribe of Israel. And they are given the mission of going into the promised land to explore it and to report back. Well, they've just returned from that land and are reporting back. We pick up the story in Numbers chapter 13, verse 27. Ten of the men, not all twelve, but ten of them are reporting here. And they gave, in verse 27, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit, and I assume they presented him with whatever they found from the land. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. 
We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the south. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. At this point, apparently, the people were murmuring and getting a little bit concerned. And so in verse 30, we see that, that Caleb, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of this land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. Ten of the people came back and they were like, run away! Joshua and Caleb came back and they were like, Stephen Curtis Chapman, saddle up your horses, we've got a trail to blaze. Always did like that song. They were ready to go. God's got a plan, let's go do it. And who do you think the people listened to? Yeah, they listened to the ten who gave the bad report. When we pick up the story in uh, verse 4 of chapter 14, all the people had grumbled, and they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Wait a second, I thought they had a leader, didn't they? Moses? They had a leader. We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone and the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked of stoning them. You've got to be kidding me. Really? Stoning them? So not only have the people of Israel rebelled against God, they have rejected Moses as their leader. They're ready to replace him and return to Egypt yet again. Seems like that's always what they wanted to do. But they also have decided, hey, you know, these people, Joshua and Caleb, that are saying we should go in and do what God has called us to do, let's stone them. We don't want to hear that. As a result, God tells them in verse 30 and 31, not one of you will enter the land that I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land that you have rejected. So 40 years would pass while they all passed away, and only their children and Joshua and Caleb would be allowed to enter the promised land. Before moving to uh, Pennsylvania, my family lived in Florida for about three years. Shortly after moving to Florida, uh, we were walking, my, my son and I were walking along the uh, a sidewalk near the side of the road, and my son spotted a piece of metal laying on the side of the road. He asked me if, uh, he picked it up and asked me if he could keep it. It looked pretty harmless and actually pretty useful, so I said, sure, go ahead. And uh, if you can put the uh, slide up, you can see what it is that uh, 
he found that. Strange looking thing, but no sharp edges. That's important when you're a parent. No sharp edges, so sure, you can keep that. Uh, we no longer have it. I uh, actually went out to a store to see if I could find one. Oddly enough, nobody had one. Uh, but they could order one for me, but I just decided to do a picture. You could see that better anyway. Out of curiosity, you don't have to, I'm not going to ask you to tell me or anything, but who, who knows what that is? Raise your hand if you know. No, no hands going up. That's good. I like that. I like that. Okay. Uh, well, we'll come back to that later. Back to Joshua and Caleb right now. Twelve men had the chance to be used by God. Only ten, only ten allowed God to use them. Uh, excuse me, only two allowed God to use them. Ten were not used by God. Which raises the question, what's the difference? What made Joshua and Caleb different from the other ten? It's not a very complicated question. Why were Joshua and Caleb different? Well, they were kind of strange. They were kind of strange. You see, God uses strange people. God uses knuckleheads. Let me tell you a story. Back when I was in college years ago, I remember a time when I was really struggling and um, struggling with trying to follow God's direction for my life while other areas of my life just didn't seem to be working out the way that I thought they should be as I was trying to do what God wanted me to do. And everybody at times, we all have times when we struggle, when uh, we face difficulties. And this was a time that was probably the most challenging time uh, of my college years. And so I responded to that as I normally would do. I went out to a, a local park and went for a walk just to, to think, to pray, to, to clear my mind. And I, I walked down a path along the edge of the park, and to my left was a little grassy area and a row of towering oak trees. On the other side of the oak trees, there was a street and then a neighborhood on the edge of town, a really heavy residential neighborhood with lots of houses, uh, small just rows of houses. And as I walked along this path in the park, I looked to my left, and out of those houses, a man came walking out. And as he got to the row of oak trees, he changed his direction and headed straight on an intercept course with me. It was about 10.30 in the morning, and the park was pretty much empty. So it kind of concerned me a little bit, but uh, I was in my early 20s. He looked like he was probably retired, so I figured at the very least I can outrun him. Uh, when he reached me, he introduced himself to me, and the first thing he said to me was this. He said, you're a Christian, aren't you? I thought, that's kind of a strange way to start a conversation with somebody you've never met. Got stranger. The next thing he said was that he was a Christian too, and he knew that I was a Christian because we were walking in step with each other, each step in sync with each other. I'm like, okay, that's... Really kind of strange. I was probably thinking pretty much the same thing that y'all are thinking at this point. As I looked to see if there were any witnesses in the park, uh, there was way on the other side, there were a couple of mothers, but they were paying attention to their kids on the playground. 
I was expecting at any moment to get knocked over the head and carried away to some commune in the mountains of West Virginia, which really wasn't that far away. And I'd heard of a place or two that was there, so um, I was getting a little bit concerned. But the man continued, and he told me that uh, he felt like God wanted him to read two, passages, two verses of Scripture for him, to me and wanted to know if that was all right. Seemed harmless enough so far. So I said, sure, go ahead. And he read two passages of Scripture to me, two, two verses, didn't take long at all. And he thanked me, and he turned around and walked away, back into the neighborhood of houses and disappeared. And I was just dumbfounded. As he's walking away, I was just dumbfounded. That's it? That's all you've got? You walk all this way to read two verses from the Bible, and that's all you've got? You're not going to give me your sales pitch? What is it you want? You didn't even invite me to your church. You should at least do that, right? Didn't even tell me what church he went to. He just read two verses and thanked me and walked away. As I walked off, I had no idea exactly what to make of this strange man. But I couldn't help myself. I didn't want to look. But as I was walking away, I couldn't resist. I had to look back. And sure enough, step by step, we were exactly in sync. I immediately stopped. Got out of sync a little bit. Started walking again. Glanced back. And still, step by step, perfectly in sync. And I could almost hear God laugh at me. God's got a sense of humor, you know? I mean, we are created in God's image, and one of those things is, is the sense of humor. I know many of you probably have some burning, deep, theological, philosophical question that you want to ask God when you get to heaven. My question is, God, how, loud, how hard did you laugh at me? Because I'd like to know. It was as if God was saying to me, all right, here, here you go, you guy who, who you think you've got your theology figured out, you've read some theology book. Take this. Take this, you guy who, who, who wants to put me in a box and tell me what I can and can't do. Remember, I'm God. Do what I want. If I want to mess with your head a little bit, I will and laugh about it. God has a sense of humor. Nevertheless, I still think that that man's theology was a little bit off. I don't think that assuming that somebody who's walking in step with you is a Christian, I don't think that's really good theology. Unless God comes down and tells you to look for that, that's different. But the point is this. Here's this strange man who hasn't read the right theology book, and yet I couldn't escape the fact that, you know, he was right. He didn't wonder if I was a Christian or not. He told me, you're a Christian, aren't you? And he was right. And he read two verses to me, and that was it. Two good verses. In fact, one was exactly what I needed to hear that day. 
exactly the reminder I needed to hear about what my focus should be and how everything else fit together within that. It was Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Keep your focus, your priorities right. All those other things that I was stressed over and, and worried about and trying to figure out how everything was supposed to be working. Those weren't what I was supposed to be worrying about. Seek first God. It was the reminder that I needed. It made a huge difference in my day and my week and, and, and my school year. It was exactly the message I needed. God used this man. This man with bad theology. Why was God able to use him? Simple. Because he wanted to be used by God. He was willing to be used by God. Even if it meant appearing a bit strange to somebody else. See, God uses strange people. And I thought this man was kind of strange. But I appreciated his willingness to do what God, what he felt God was sending him out to do. And God used him. Whether you're right about everything that you're thinking or not, God can still use you. And that's important. Joshua and Caleb were strange in the eyes of the other ten who went into the promised land. You two want to go back into that land? Really? Didn't y'all see what we saw? You got to be crazy to want to go back there. That's just strange. They couldn't understand it. The entire population of Israelites agreed with them. That's kind of strange. We don't want to go into that land. That's dangerous. Did you hear the report? You guys saw it. In fact, not only did they all think that Joshua and Caleb were strange, they wanted to stone them. God uses strange people. People who are willing to appear a little bit strange to everybody else. The wisdom of God is foolishness to men. If we follow God and we seek for God to use us, other people are going to think that's strange, foolish. They're not going to understand. But that's okay because God can use us anyway. But there's more. If we want to be used by God, another thing that is very important is to realize that God uses people who have the right motives. We must have the right motive. Uh, this strange man I told you about, what was his motives? He wasn't trying to sell me anything. He wasn't inviting me to anything. All he did was read two verses from the Bible to me. That was it. There was nothing in it for him. In fact, he gave up his time. He walked whatever distance it was that he walked and did nothing else. He walked to that point, turned around, and walked back. There was nothing in it for him, only sacrifice on his part. No selfish motives at all. We must always guard our motives, we must always check our motives. God wants to use you. God can use you. But we need to have the right motives behind it. Sometimes we can even find ourselves doing the right thing, but doing it for the wrong reasons. Everyone likes attention, recognition, appreciation, and all of those things are good. 
unless those are your motives. And sometimes we miss the chance to be used by God because we're so wrapped up in other things, are too busy with other things that we fail to see the opportunities that God is, is putting in our paths. And so we fail to see those things. We fail to see that person walking along in a park or that person sitting on a bench or maybe that person behind a checkout counter in the store who, need, who desperately needs at least one person to say a kind word to them that day. You see, sometimes God uses us in small ways. At least we think they're small. But maybe to the person that God is using us with, it might not seem so small to them. Let's look again at those 12 men. Ten came back with a bad report. Two, a good report. Why did those ten men come back with a bad report? It was their motive. It was their motive. Think about it for a moment. Why were they sent into the promised land? Why were they sent into the promised land? They were sent on a mission to explore the land, to spy out the land. Basically, it was a reconnaissance mission. It was not, and get this, it's important, it was not a mission to decide whether or not they should go in and try to possess the land. That had been decided a long time ago. That's why they left Egypt. That decision had been made ages ago. They were simply on a fact-gathering mission. But they changed that motive. Their motive became, let's find out if what God is asking us to do is something that maybe we really don't want to do or shouldn't be doing. Or maybe it's a little too dangerous, a little too risky. Joshua and Caleb, on the other hand, their motive was, hey, God is telling us to go in here and possess the land. And we get the opportunity to go in and figure out how best to approach this, where we should go first, what this land is like. Let's figure out how best to follow God's direction, to obey God, to do what God is calling us to do. That was Joshua and Caleb's motive. And you see how the difference in the motives produced a different outcome, a different decision on the part of the two and the part of the ten. Always make sure we keep our motives what they should be. Following God, obeying God, doing what God has called us to do. Even if it seems strange and unpopular. Finally, as we seek to be used by God, there's one more item that we need to remember, and that is a simple fact that God uses other people as well. Sometimes we feel like we have to do everything. It's all on me. But it's not. It's not just your job. It's not just your task. God's using other people as well. Sometimes you're only there to plant a seed, to do one small thing. And you have to be willing and you have to remember to let God use other people as well. David was a good friend of mine. 
when I was in college at Virginia Tech. For two years, we were in a Bible study, a small group Bible study together. We lived in the same dorm, and his senior year in college, some things happened in his life, some things that were hard, difficult, and as a result, he walked away from God. He ended up dropping out of school halfway through his senior year in college. I only saw him a few times after that but he was still running from God. He was still running from God. Greg was another friend of mine. He was an atheist. We worked together in a a part-time job that I had in school. Greg was an atheist. His father is the one who convinced him that God did not exist. His father was a pastor. Greg and I had a lot of great conversations. I always enjoyed our conversations immensely. And he seemed to as well. We had a lot of great conversations. And I think the reason that we had such good conversations and he enjoyed them was because I was always eager to listen to what he believed. Always eager to listen to why he believed it. And so he was always interested to hear what I believed and why I believed it. And he was always asking me questions. It was great. David and Greg are two guys that I haven't seen in over 20 years. Years ago when uh, we spent time together, hopefully God used me to have some kind of an impact in their lives. But today, if God is going to send somebody to them, it's not going to be me. Get out of college, eventually you lose touch with people. And I have to trust that God is sending somebody else. I still pray for them, so God is still using me. Occasionally, God brings them to my mind, and so I I regularly pray for those two guys. I think that God sometimes brings people to our minds because he knows that at this moment, they need somebody praying for them. I have no idea what's happened to those two guys. It's important for us to remember, we can't do it all. Sometimes we have to let go And remember that as God uses us, he's using other people. And we have to trust God to do that. Moses is a perfect example of that. Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land. He led them out of Egypt, spent 40 years in the wilderness with them complaining and grumbling. He got all the hard part. (laughs) And because of, of his disobedience at one time, God told him he would not be allowed to go into the promised land. He had to turn the leadership of the Israelites over to Joshua. Moses did a lot, but he wasn't there to do everything. One plants seeds, one waters, another harvests. God uses other people, and that's important to remember. When my family lived in Florida, we had a swimming pool just like everybody in South Florida does. Not long after moving into our house, I went to the local pool store, told them that I needed uh, to be able to get into the pool canister so I could take the filter out and clean the filter so our pool would be cleaner. The man took me over to the, to the wall and pointed to a, an item on the peg hanging on the wall, and he said, that right there is what you need. It costs 20-some dollars. I said, no, I don't need that. 
I have one at home. My son found it on the side of the road. Thank you. I just saved myself some money. I felt pretty good until I got home. <laughs> until I got home and I could not find that $20-some item. You see, to me, that was just a useless piece of junk. And I treated it that way. It has no use. It has no purpose. Look at it. What could you do with that? Well, fact was, it did have value. It did have a purpose. It was useful. I didn't find that out until too late. So I had to go buy a new one. That was two I had. Still don't have any now. It was just a useless piece of junk in my mind. And so that's how I treated it. But it had a purpose. It was useful. And so are you. You have a purpose, even if you're strange, even if you're a knucklehead. You have a purpose. God can use you. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Don't let you tell yourself otherwise. Just like this tool, you look at that and you would think, what could you possibly do with that? What possible use could that have? But it is designed and created for a specific purpose. And if you don't have it, you're not going to be able to carry out that purpose. Probably not without breaking the pool filter canister, and then it gets real expensive. You've got to have the right tool for the right job. God has created you and designed you for a specific purpose. God has placed you in a specific situation around certain people for a reason, for a purpose. And God wants to use you. The question is, are you willing to be strange in the eyes of some people? Are you properly motivated to do what God is asking you to do? I'm not telling you to go out and change the world. That's for graduation speeches. Nobody has ever changed the world except for Jesus. But what I'm telling you is this. There is somebody, at least one person out there, whose world needs to be changed. And you are part of their world. God has placed you there because you're the person that God wants to use to help change that person's world, to make a difference in that person's life. Maybe it's something as simple as a card, a comment, a phone call, an offer of help or a conversation. God uses other people as well. Maybe you're there just to plant a seed, to offer a ray of hope, a word of encouragement, or maybe more. God is sending you to impact somebody's world. And that's not two years from now. That's today. That's this week. God wants to use you, and God can use you, if you will. As I said earlier, though, sometimes we get so busy, sometimes we get so distracted that we fail to see those opportunities. And that's a shame, because I look back in my life at times when there were people that impacted my life and made a difference. And I'm thankful that they did not allow themselves 
to become distracted or to be too busy. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you with a challenge today. I have a stack of papers here. Homework. Ooh. <laughs> School is starting. I can't help it. Um, here's what I want you to do. It's very simple. I want you to write yourself a reminder that God wants to use you. It can be as simple as this. This is what I did. I'm not very creative. God wants to use me today. You could write it on a full-size sheet of paper. Maybe you want to cut this into smaller sections and put little notes at several places. Cut it into a small wallet-sized piece and write the message, God wants to use me today. Put it somewhere where you'll see it, where you'll see it, in your wallet, in your purse, in your car, just not here in your car. We all would appreciate that. But somewhere where you will see it. Now, some of you, you know, you can do this in five seconds like I did because you're like me. Some of you may, may be a little bit more creative, like my daughter, who a little assignment like this involves a trip to the craft store. <laughs> Don't get any ideas. But the idea, you, and you, you can make one note, you can make two, you can make four, eight. Take more sheets of paper if you want. The idea is simply to remind us to open up our eyes, to see how God wants to use us, to see the opportunities that we're missing, to see the people around us that we are in their lives, if only for a moment. But God has put us there to make a difference because they need somebody to impact their, their world. And God is sending you to do it. I'm going to ask if I can get one of the ushers to come up. Um, and if you just set this uh, outside the doors there where the bulletins are on that little table, and if everybody would just take a sheet, I'd encourage you to do that. Take a sheet. Take a couple if you want. There's quite a few there. And we got multiple colors. You can pick whatever color you like. And I was tempted to get the really bright ones, but quite frankly, they blinded me. It was a little bit too much. Maybe y'all like those. I don't know. Anyway, there's your challenge. Take it with you. Write something on it. You'll have the paper in your hands, and that will remind you to do it. So easy to forget sometimes, especially as you get older, I would know. That's why I wrote it down, to remind myself. And I would encourage you to do the same thing as you go home today. Let's close with prayer. God, we thank you that you use knuckleheads, that you desire to use us And as we look around us, as we go through this coming week, we'll see people who need us to do something in their life because they need you to do something in their lives. Remind us. Remind us that you want to use us today. And we thank you that other people have taken that seriously and that you have used others in our lives. Amen. The second verse, I would tell you if I could remember, I don't know. It was. It was in John, towards the end of it, but I could not remember. But the, the one that really impacted me was the one that I remembered. And 